Welcome back into the Fan Section Podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, Tyson Quiller. Back at it, as Alan and I discussed uh, on the last podcast. I'm going to be stepping away a little bit here. Alan is going to keep coming with football content. He's going to be doing his draft prospect previews and keeping his finger on the pulse of all things recruiting as well as the draft por- or the uh, transfer portal activity that is just shocking the world in college football. <clears throat> but today I thought I would take an opportunity here to look into a little bit of the college basketball landscape and kind of the, the movers and shakers therein, looking from a national lens at the top of the pile. And what we have seen develop in the last week has been nothing short of shocking. The national picture, nine of the top 25 teams lost over last weekend. and There was a real changing of the guard that has occurred at the top of the heap. Now, at number five in the country, my pick to win the national title, back-to-back, defend their last year's national title, the Baylor Bears, have fallen. Baylor has lost their last two games, both at home. Number 19, Texas Tech, and then against Oklahoma State. Both conference losses, that's a tough one to take. Well, the question is then why? Well, the Bears, who have been averaging 79 points per game, couldn't score more than 62 in each of the last two games. The Bears are only shooting 35% in these last two losses. That's pretty clearly the issue. They can't create good shots. This is a problem. Now, what was truly shocking was that they were able to coast and stay undefeated this year, and we never really saw a gap or a space left behind from that incredible backcourt that won the national championship last year of Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, and Macy Oteague. I mean, we all thought there must have been a drop-off, but they were able to kind of keep things afloat, and it seemed like James Akinjo, LJ Cryer, and Adam Flagler had filled this hole. Now, James Akinjo leads the Big 12 in assists at 5.7 per game, but in the last two games, the three guards have combined for 12 turnovers. The Bears just aren't moving the ball well, and they are relying too much on these guards to create late in the shot clock from the top of the key. Baylor has been playing without standout freshman forward Jeremy Sochan, so that's at least part of the explanation. He is certainly one of the phenom freshmen in college basketball this year. He should be back tonight, Uh, and their other outstanding freshman forward, Kendall Brown, just happened to have his two worst games of the season in that same stretch. He only collected four points per game in the last two games. You've got to believe that's going to change. Luckily for the Bears, they get a little bit of a beleaguered West Virginia team, and then Oklahoma next, but both are on the road. So both are actually losable games if they can't make the changes necessary to value the ball and keep their field goal percentage up. Baylor is at Alabama on January 29th, and then they are at an elite Kansas Jayhawks squad on February 5th. Things are going to start heating up in the Big 12. They need to get their issues figured out. Uh, Like I mentioned, these Bears have been my championship pick. However, I think I have to question that when they have such fundamental flaws. On the flip side, the Bears' recent slide has opened the field back up, and I think the next two teams just seem to be the clear Group A amongst the rest. The new number one team in the country, the Gonzaga Bulldogs, are 14-2. In my opinion, Auburn should have been number one, and it's fascinating. 
Auburn would have been number one in the AP poll if not for one AP voter who voted Auburn ninth in the country. Now, Gonzaga's net ranking is number one, and Ken Palm also has them at number one as well. So I guess there's some justification to it. Uh, the Zags just keep rolling. Before going on a three-week COVID pause, they had beat top 25 Texas Tech by 14, wrapping up their non-conference slate. Now we enter into the part of the season where the Dukes, the Purdue's, the UCLA's, the Baylor's are facing one or two top 25 opponents every week in conference play, while Gonzaga will likely not face another top 25 team all season. Important to keep in mind, though, the West Coast Conference is very much improved. Uh, there will likely be three, could possibly even be four teams from that conference in the tournament this year. San Francisco, who Gonzaga plays next, is one of them. In their last three games since the COVID pause, Gonzaga's Drew Timmy is averaging 26 points and 8 rebounds. He has thrust himself back into the Player of the Year consideration, while the freshman feed on Chet Holmgren is adding another 14 points and 8 rebounds himself. Andrew Nemhard has solidified himself as a leadership spot, collecting 9 assists per game. This may be the best all-around team in the country, uh, but they are still missing the athlete spot, you know, kind of the, the spot-up three-threat and the athlete that can create that they lost with a Corey Kispert last year. This was evident in their two losses this year versus Duke and especially against Alabama. Rasir Bolton has been the best three-point percentage shooter so far for the team, but he can't reliably create off the bounce. Uh, he's more of a spot-up. Somebody drives the hoop and kicks it to him. It is a vulnerability that has me believing that the number two team is actually the best team in the country. That number two team is the Auburn Tigers, 16-1. and one. It is exceptionally difficult to get to the rim against Bruce Pearl's squad. Walker Kessler is second in the nation, blocking shots, collecting 4.1 blocks per game. And in their primetime matchup against Alabama last week, they got 11 blocks from not one of those players was named Walker Kessler. So they have a ton of big dudes at the rim. Freshman phenom Jabari Smith has secured the front-running spot for first overall in the NBA draft as he's averaging almost 20 points and 8 rebounds per game in the last four contests. With all that being said, I haven't even mentioned my two favorite players on the team. Auburn flat out has the most talented backcourt in basketball right now. Wendell Green Jr. and Katie Johnson are absolute killers. From timely threes to precision cuts to the hoop, these two own their leadership role. They demand the ball at the end of the game, and maybe most importantly, there's just no quit in either one of them. They fight till the end. Auburn's only loss on the season was on November 24th at the Bad Boys Mowers uh, Battle for Atlantis in double overtime to a very talented UConn Husky squad. UConn will make the NCAA tournament. This coming Saturday, Auburn hosts number 12, Kentucky. That will be a fantastic show. Don't miss it. I think Kentucky is a top-line team as well. The, the, they will probably be in the tournament at the 3-4 or four line, which certainly gives them a chance to win it all. Number 3 in the AP poll this week, the Arizona Wildcats, 14-1. and one. I'll be honest with you, I doubted on them early until they beat down my Buffaloes. Uh, number two in the net rankings. You know, part of the Wildcats' ascendance lately has been the emergence of Azulas Tabellis as a legit secondary scoring threat to Benedict Mathurin. 
Both are top five scorers in the Pac-12. Benedict Matherin is working his way up the draft boards. I think he's one of the players who's who has risen their stock the most uh, when you look at kind of these NBA draft projection boards. Also, Christian Coloco is a dominant force down low, which opens up lanes for the leading scorers and extends possessions. He currently leads the Pac-12 in blocks on the defensive end, as well as being second in the Pac-12 in field goal percentage. What that means is he's getting very, very close to the hoop and getting very, very good looks, probably leading the Pac-12 in dunks. That wasn't a statistic I was able to find. Uh, If you find it, please let me know. Next, number four in the AP poll, the Purdue Boilermakers out of the Big Ten. 14-2, their two losses at Rutgers, and then Wisconsin at home. So this is one of those weird cases where they're 14-2, number four in the country, but they're like third or fourth in the Big Ten because their only two losses are in conference. The game two nights ago versus Illinois was just flat-out insane. It had me on the edge of my seat. I went to two overtimes. Andre Curbelo carried the Illini. Late after Kofi Corbin fouled out, but Trayvon Williams flexed under the hoop, and Purdue pulled off a big win at home. Sasha Stefanovic hit some big timely threes to crawl back into the game at the end of regulation. I tell you what, Matt Painter has a real diversity in threats on this team. Travion Williams' size and ability under the hoop is bolstered by the strength and consistency of Zach Eady on the other post. Uh, who has the second-best field goal percentage in the Big Ten. See what I just spoke about, Christian Coloco, and his high field goal percentage. That means he's getting the ball real close to the rim. Jaden Ivey, on the other hand, has not been kind of the EJ Liddell-level weapon we thought we would see coming into this year. But the good news is he hasn't had to be. The team has real great balance. That makes them a real threat, in my opinion, to win it at all. This, though, makes the loss last month at Rutgers all the more head-scratching. Rutgers is not a good team. That simply came down to poor coaching, in my opinion, and that is a concern moving forward. You might remember that almost the exact squad from last year lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament to North Texas. Now, the Boilers should win their next three games, Indiana, Northwestern, and Iowa, but those three are each better than Rutgers, so who knows? In the Big Ten, I think you're going to see teams like Illinois and Ohio State rise up as Michigan State and Purdue regress down to the mean, down the stretch of the season. Also, Michigan seems to be making a little bit of a push late here. So we'll see if they can keep their NCAA tournament hopes alive. Number six in the AP poll is who I'm going to next, and that is the Duke Blue Devils. 14-2. and two. After starting the season off 10-1 and with big wins over Gonzaga and Kentucky, Duke seemed like they had a really had a stranglehold on, or were going to have a stranglehold on the ACC in Coach K's last season. But the Devils ran into a shockingly good Miami Hurricanes squad last week and lost at Cameron Indoor. My pick to win the ACC was Florida State, and they have really disappointed, and it seems like in their place, the Hurricanes have arisen. Now, Florida State's making a push down the stretch, just like I mentioned about Michigan. Florida State, I think, will be a tournament team. Michigan, you know, the verdict's still out on them. I think the Miami Hurricanes will definitely be a tournament team. But, but that loss to Miami for Duke, I don't think is a major referendum on Duke. I still believe they're one of the best teams in the country. Freshman Trevor Keels is a straitjacket on defense, and Paolo Banchero is potentially the player of the year, leading the team in both scoring and rebounds. What has been a surprise 
is the addition of Mark Williams leading the ACC in blocks and the facilitation of Wendell Moore Jr. with the second most assists in the conference. Duke is at Florida State tonight, and then in uh, a down ACC, I anticipate the Blue Devils will probably cruise through the back half of their schedule. They do have a road trip starting at the end of the month that could be tricky at Louisville, at Notre Dame, and then at North Carolina, but I think they will just get by on pure athleticism. Duke, I think, is a clear top four team. They're going to rise up as some of these teams in the Big 12 and Big 10 struggle a little bit down the stretch. I think Duke will probably end up earning a one seed in the NCAA tournament. At number seven in the AP poll, 14-2, and two, with their only two losses being Texas Tech and then a puzzling loss to Dayton, we have the Kansas Jayhawks. After suffering their first loss in, in the conference to a, in my opinion, very sneaky good Texas Tech bunch two weeks ago, the Jayhawks put together two solid wins, a one-point win at Fog Allen over a really talented Iowa State team, and then a 26-point beatdown at home over Bob Huggins' West Virginia Mountaineers. Ochai Abaji leads the Big 12 in scoring at 20.6 points per game and has been on an absolute tear since the new year. He also has thrust his name into the College Basketball Player of the Year conversation. And then David McCormack has been a more reliable rebounder uh, in the back half of the season here, averaging pulling down 10 rebounds per game in their last three games. The sophomore star Jalen Wilson doubled his season average in the win over the Mountaineers. I just don't know that this team has the depth to sustain. I think they've got the pieces. They obviously have the great coaching. I don't know if they have the depth. Remy Martin has really disappeared, and Christian Braun has as well. But Christian Braun did the same thing down the stretch last season. Remy Martin was supposed to be that piece that would come in to put them over the top. He, It's been kind of mixed returns out of him the last few games. Talent-wise, this may be the fourth-best team in the Big 12, behind Baylor, Texas, and Iowa State, but they just keep winning, and that's what the sport is about. The Jayhawks are on the road for Oklahoma, and then Bruce Weber's Kansas State Wildcats team come to town. But the next five games after that are all against top 25 teams, Texas Tech, Kentucky, at Iowa State, Baylor, and at Texas. We will learn a lot about this Kansas squad in the next couple of weeks. In my opinion, even with two losses, if they get through that stretch without losing, they probably should jump both Gonzaga and Auburn and be number one in the country. At number eight in the AP poll, we have the Wisconsin Badgers. The Badgers have won seven in a row since their loss at Ohio State on December 11th. In that streak, they avenged the loss uh, by beating Ohio State at home by 10, and they knocked off number three Purdue in West Lafayette on January 3rd. Johnny Davis is a flat-out stud. I think he's a top five, top six NBA draft pick on most of the boards I've been looking at. He's number five in the country in points per game, 21.7. And Brad Davidson is a deadly jump shooter. I think the game I watched the other night, he, he just pulled up and hit, hand in his face, dude all over him, like two or three in a row from deep. I mean, he's, he's a real deadly jump shooter. Uh, this team looked like it was going to be kind of Johnny Davis, uh, the Johnny Davis show early, but they actually do have several other weapons. Junior forward Tyler Wall dropped 20 points on EJ Liddell and the Buckeyes last week. Outside of Auburn, there may be no hotter team in America than Wisconsin. Their next big test is at number 14 Michigan State on February 8th. 
At number nine in the AP poll and falling, falling, looking vulnerable, are the UCLA Bruins. I'm not ready to give up on UCLA, but there's some questions, but I think they're still for real. Problems are becoming clear in the in that UCLA doesn't shoot free throws well. They missed eight in the loss to Oregon just the other day. Only 39.7% from the field in that game. Just a real bad shooting performance. Outside of that game, the Bruins are shooting almost 50% from the field. Miles Johnson, the transfer from Rutgers, has drifted off and out of the picture. But this may actually be the right call. He's, he's a good weapon off the bench, but the cultivating of that cohesion of the starting five, which is the same starting five from last year's Final Four run, is important. The Bruins are at Colorado on Saturday, and then they get number three, Arizona, in L.A. after that. With no fans, no fans in L.A., apparently, but (laughs) that's so sad. I don't know if you've seen a game out there. But number three, Arizona is traveling to L.A. to play UCLA on Tuesday. If they win those two games, I think they're right back up in the top four probably. All of a sudden, by the way, Joe Lenardi has four Pac-12 teams in the tournament now. Oregon is his fourth team after they beat UCLA. Number 10, the Houston Cougars, who are number three in the net rankings. But their leading score is 17.7 points per game, and only real key piece returning from last year's Final Four run, Marcus Sasser, is now out for the season with a toe injury that he suffered at the end of December. Jamal Shedd has been shaken up and missed time lately as well. Kelvin Sampson has really had to adjust quite a bit, change sub-rotations, and game plans to keep the boat afloat. Houston has won seven in a row, though, since they got completely ripped off, in my opinion, at the buzzer by the refs in their loss at Alabama. The Cougars get South Florida at home, which they should win, but then they start a stretch where they face East Carolina, Central Florida, Cincinnati, and SMU. All four of those teams are either in the tournament or bubble teams, and that's going to be four of their next five games. Unless the backcourt gets solidified with Kyler Edwards stepping up, his scoring, and Fabian White owns the paint, the Cougars could lose two of those four and probably drop precipitously. Another couple teams here I want you to keep your eye on. Number 12, Kentucky Wildcats. They're number three on Ken Palm, number 10 in the net rankings. I mentioned their big showdown they have coming up with Auburn. Oscar Shibway leads the country in rebounds at almost 15 per game. He is currently a half a rebound per game ahead of the college basketball single-season record set by Kenneth Fareed at Moorhead State in 2010-2011. Next, number 15, Iowa State. The Cyclones, man, now this is a fun team to watch. After starting the season off 12-0 with wins over Xavier, Memphis, Creighton, and Iowa, who could all be tournament teams in reality, the Cyclones were a complete revelation. Keep in mind, Iowa State went 2-22 last season. They have quickly become a fan favorite. But the Big 12 is a grind, and reality set in as they started conference play 1-3. It looked like they were not long for the spotlight, but in the last two weeks, they got big wins over top 25 opponents in Texas and Texas Tech, which, in my opinion, has validated their turnaround. Penn State transfer Isaiah Brockington is the clear star uh, and leader of the team, leading the team in points and rebounds per game. However, what we saw, especially in their big win over Texas, was Gabe Coucher can be a real weapon off of the dribble, and Caleb Grill is a devastating spot-up shooter. 
The only real uncertainty is size in the front court, but Koontz and Condit are scrappy, even if they are undersized. Iowa State is at Texas Tech tonight before a three-game stretch that they should win. So with that review done, I want to turn our attention here to a quick review of the current bracketology. This comes by way of Joe Lenardi, and uh, out of the San Francisco bracket, he currently has Gonzaga as the one seed, then UCLA, Illinois, and LSU as two, three, and four, respectively. Out of the Chicago bracket, he has the Auburn Tigers and Bruce Pearl as the one seed, and then Kansas, Wisconsin, Texas Tech. That doesn't seem likely. They would probably move one of those Big 12 teams, either Kansas or Texas Tech, out of that region. Out of the Philadelphia bracket, he has Arizona number one, Duke, Villanova, and Michigan State. Look at those matchups. Tommy Lloyd, first-year head coach at Arizona, but then every other head coach, Duke, Villanova, and Michigan State, has won a national title. Tom Izzo, Jay Wright, and Coach K at Duke. And then out of the San Antonio bracket, Baylor is the one seed, then Purdue, Kentucky, and Houston. You have two of last year's final four teams in that region. That's pretty interesting. We'll keep an eye on that. One last thing I want to touch on here before we go that I find pretty interesting, and it is women's basketball. What a change of fortune for the ladies' teams in this area. For those of you that don't know, we are broadcasting out of the northern Colorado area. The final remaining undefeated men's or women's college basketball team was the Colorado Lady Buffaloes. Un- unfortunately, they lost at home in their next game to the number two Stanford Cardinals, 60-52. to uh, And then after postponing a game versus California, they lost again to Oregon State. There's still time. The Lady Buffaloes, I think, should probably make the NCAA tournament, but they're on a bit of a skid right now. Hopefully they can get it turned around. Senior Maya Hollingshed is the Lady Buffs' leading scorer and rebounder. I think the Buffs need to regroup if they're going to make a run at the tournament. At 13-2 currently, and with the hardest part of their schedule remaining. Meanwhile, in Fort Collins, after starting the season off 10-1, with their only loss being to number 10 Louisville, the Lady Rams have now lost three of their last four, all being conference losses. Like the Lady Buffs, the Lady Rams need to regroup and get back on track if they're going to make the NCAA tournament. These two teams came out to very hot starts, and now they've hit skids as of lately. The top five teams in women's basketball in the newest AP poll are South Carolina, Stanford, Louisville, North Carolina State, and Tennessee. And before I let you go here, Here is the upcoming slate of the men's college basketball games coming up to keep your eye on. Wednesday, LSU at Alabama. Also Wednesday, Kentucky at a sneaky good 15-2 Texas A&M squad. Friday, number 14 Michigan State is at number 8 Wisconsin. Saturday, that juggernaut matchup, 12 Kentucky at number 2 Auburn. And then also number 13 LSU at number 24, Tennessee. Thanks so much for checking in with the Fan Section Podcast, and we will check you out the next time.